Well, it is good to see you this morning. And you can hear me this morning. So I trust that you will spend time with Robert and Deanne after service. And also they are planning on being at the picnic this afternoon. So you can have a longer amount of time to talk to them there at the picnic. I I hope you'll be at the picnic at uh, 1230 at JFK Park in East Helena. Now, I know if you're not that familiar with East Helena, sometimes it's confusing. There's this park there on Main Street. That's not JFK Park. JFK Park is by the the school back in there and the the East Helena pool. And so there'll be some different games and stuff. Obviously, there will be food. And uh, if you're like me, you can just sit there and watch the uh, thermometer and uh, but will be in the shade, or you can be in the shade, and so I, I hope you will join us, and uh, be a great time to talk to Robert and Deanne a little more, and just spend some time together, and uh, get to know each other, and encourage each other, so that'll be uh, after second service there in East Helena at JFK Park. Next Sunday, we have baptisms, and uh, if you have never followed the Lord in that step of obedience, please uh, sign up out in the uh, foyer and we will reach out to you. And uh, it's always an exciting time to celebrate together uh, that step of obedience of baptism. And then on the 13th, we have a new members class, August 13th, and uh, that'll be during second service. And if you've not joined the church, uh, consider that. And it's a great opportunity just to go to the class, if you're considering it, to, uh, to just find out more about the church on August 13th. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, may we have hearts and minds open to your word. Lord, as we continue through the life of David, Lord, battles that he faces over and over, but recognizing that we face many of those same struggles and temptations. Lord, may we glean knowledge from your word, but more than that, may we apply what we learn to be more like Jesus Christ. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So like many of our lives, David's life was a roller coaster. Now, it was a roller coaster in the circumstances that he faced, but it was also a roller coaster in his response to his circumstances. We've seen him stand strong and rise up against what seemed to be impossible odds as a young boy facing a a giant or throughout his life. Up to this point, we've been watching him face an angry king. We've also seen David stumble. Last week, we saw him stumble when responding to a foolish farmer. In 1 Samuel 27, we see David stumble again as he allows his circumstances to cloud out his hope and his faith. The result... He chose a foolish plan that would have devastating results in his life, but also in the lives of 600 families that went on or went with him on his journey. 
Follow along as I read 1 Samuel 27, beginning in verse 1. It says, And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish some day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines, and Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. Then David arose and went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath, and he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitish, Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. Then David said to Achish, if I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. We must first ask the question, why did David make the foolish decision that he made? What was the pathway to his decision? Well, and we see in verse 1 that there were, there were a few things that took place. We see he, he didn't seek God's input. And trouble begins when he looked internally rather than looking to God. It begins, verse 1, And David said in his heart. David was talking to himself, not to God. And we'll see if you follow along in this next part of David's life that, that throughout this time frame, we don't see mention of David seeking God's wisdom. Instead, David made his own plan. He said in his heart, he did not seek God's input. We also see he did not feel hope. Verse 1 goes on, Now I shall perish some day by the hand of Saul. Now think about it. If you remember what we've been looking at, and it began in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, when, when Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel, God had said Saul is no longer going to be king, and so Samuel go and to the area of Bethlehem, to the family of Jesse, and one of his sons, is going to be the next king of Israel, and, and you, Samuel, anoint that person. So, so David obviously was there as God anointed him through Samuel to be the king. And then we see his friend Jonathan, who was, according to their tradition, the next in line to be king. Jonathan had said more than once, David, you are going to be the king, and my goal is to stand by your side as you lead Israel. His wife, Michael, Saul's daughter, recognized that David was going to be king. Abigail, as we saw in the story last week in chapter 25, recognized that David was the one who God had set apart to be king. But what was David saying here? Now I shall perish by the hand of Saul. David was acting like the army of Israel acted when they faced Goliath. 
When the, when the army faced Goliath, they couldn't see past the giant to notice God. David couldn't see past the acts of King Saul and King Saul's threats. He couldn't see past those to see God at work. David's thoughts, we see here in these first verses, times are hard. He questioned, considering God had deserted him. He stated, I will never be king, I'm going to die. But today we need to recognize, and in that story at that time, David need to recognize that God is a God of hope, not a God of pessimism or despair. We're encouraged by the words of Philippians 4.8, a very familiar passage in Scripture. Philippians 4.8 says this, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And that's a great verse to, to put to memory and to consider, to meditate on that the importance of focusing on those good things, those godly things, those pure and noble things. But it's interesting, we oftentimes don't consider the context of that verse. If you go back to verse 6, Paul is, is encouraging and challenging the people of Philippi who are going through some intense persecution. And he reminds them, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. When that anxiety, when that discouragement, that depression comes up, what are we to do? We're to focus on God and recognize the hope that we have in Him. And I realize that is hard to do in the midst of the circumstance. But it's vital in order to have victory. And then it's interesting there again in Philippians 4, we, we stop at verse 8. And again, a, a great and encouraging verse. But notice what verse 9 says of Philippians 4. It says, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Notice the last part. It says, And the God of peace will be with you. Paul reminds us in Philippians 4 that in the midst of the anxiety, in the midst of the discouragement, we need to focus on God and recognize that our hope comes from Him and Him alone. It's easy to take our eyes off God and focus on our circumstances, to focus on the wind and the waves rather than to focus on the Savior. But we see also that, that David trusted his own plan. Notice what he says. He says, There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines, and Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. David came up with his own plan that he believed that would take off the pressure that he was feeling from Saul chasing him, attempting to kill him. You know, David should have followed his own advice. Advice we see in Psalm chapter 20, verses 6 and 7. Now, Psalm 20 was probably written after this. 
but uh, he should have been looking forward to the advice and applying it to his life. Notice what David said in Psalm 20. He said, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his, God's, right hand. Verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. But in the midst of this difficult circumstance, David did not take his own advice. He forgot the name of the Lord his God. Instead, he made his own plans. His own idea on how he could escape from the anger of Saul. But we see some consequences to David's choice. And and it's interesting because verse 4 tells us initially his plan seemed to work. Verse 4 says, And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. David was already talking to himself. We saw that in verse 1. Now I'm confident. He was thinking to himself, what a great plan. I no longer have Saul chasing me. We oftentimes, rather than seeking God and his plans, look to our own plan to escape our circumstances. Now, it may be just escaping the, the discouragement and depression, and we do that in many ways. Oftentimes, people look to, to drugs or alcohol to avoid what they're facing. I'll do this, and I won't have to think about what's going on. Or maybe we, we figure out ways that we can bypass the difficulty. Some things that we can do to, to and, it, and oftentimes we, uh, in order to get to the end that we want, we, uh, we even skip the means and, and choose ways that dishonor God in order to, to miss the circumstance. Or maybe we just crawl up into a ball and, and try to, to escape everything. But just like David, our plans to escape, our circumstances will fail. Verse 4 seems to think, David's thinking, hey, this is good. Saul's no longer chasing me. I can rest. I've avoided this circumstance, but we see there are many other circumstances or many other consequences in these next verses. First, we see that his plan impacted others. Verses 2 and 3 says, Then David arose and went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. You see, David took 600 families with him. The whole group moved into enemy territory. And we can think that our choices don't affect others, but they always do. David's choice made a large contingent of others face some of the same consequences, some of the same temptations that David faced as they went into enemy territory and as they were influenced by ungodly people. 
We say, you know, don't, don't preach to me because, you know, I can do what I want to do. It's, it's on me. But, you know, our choices affect so many others around us. And the Bible doesn't go into detail, but we can be confident that many of those people that David took with him into that ungodly area and under the ungodly influence of Achish, there were horrible consequences. So we see his plan required an ungodly alliance with Achish. Verse 5 says this, 1 Samuel 27, it says, Then David said to Achish, If I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? Isn't that sad? If I have now found favor in your eyes, who is David looking to please? God? No. Achish. And we see Achish and the other regional kings of the Philistines were very ungodly men. And David's goal was to please this ungodly man so that he could get favor from him. God warns us of aligning ourselves with others who do not have the same goals and priorities. Now we hear about it in marriage. But it is much more than that. In any area of our life, God needs to be the one we are looking to please. But David chose to align himself with an ungodly king. So Achish allowed David and his people to live in a town called Ziklag. Now, you say, so what's so big about Ziklag? Well, there's an interesting thing that, that's said there. It's in verse 6. It says, So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now, the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. Sixteen months he was there. Now, Ziklag, interesting it says that it belonged to the kings of Judah. But what had happened... When, when the Israelites went into the promised land, they were given Ziklag. And as, as that land was a land that was under the, the authority of the Israelites and ultimately under God's chosen people, but over time the Philistines had come in and, and controlled and they allowed the Israelites to live there, but it was under the control of the Philistines. And so the Israelites, although it was a land that belonged to God, it was under the authority of the Philistines. What about our lives? When we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we belong to Him, but oftentimes, just like the people of Ziklag, we allow Satan to control areas of our life. And we see that the David and the men and families there lived in that area, an area that God had miraculously given to the Israelites. But yet, control had been turned over to the ungodly Philistines. And another thing you notice, where was Achish king of? 
He was king of Gath. Does that name sound familiar? Gath. Goliath of Gath. That same city region that the giant came from, that David, through God's power, defeated. But now David was voluntarily placing himself under the authority and the influence of this wicked king of Gath. But not only that, but we see another consequence. He had to lie and kill in order to continue his plan. Go down to verses 10 and 11. It says this, Then Achish would say, Where have you made a raid today? And David would say, Against the southern area of Judah, or against the southern area of the Jeramalekites, or against the southern area of the Kenites. David would, say, neither man, would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, Lest they should inform on us, saying, Thus David did. And thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So for those 16 months... He had to lie and to kill to keep up a deception. These two consequences of lying and killing. So he had to lie to Achish because Achish was expecting him to be allied with the Philistines. And that meant he would be an enemy of Israel. Israel was a major enemy of the Philistines. So who was Achish's enemy should be David's enemy if they were aligned together. But David didn't want to attack his own people. So he had to lie in order to trick Achish. If you notice there in verse 10, it, he says, I have been to the south of Israel. He was very vague in who he was actually attacking. I've gone south. So Achish would think, oh, yeah, here's what's happening. You're going down and you're attacking the southern area of Israel, the south of Judah. That sounds great. we gotta, we got to defeat them. They're our arch enemies. But David would actually attack other peoples that lived around there. But he was intentionally vague in order to deceive Achish. You know, when we make foolish choices, and, and when we lie, we've got to continue the deception. And it builds, and it builds, and it builds. And so for 16 months, David had to continually lie to Achish in order to put on the front that he was uh, aligned with Achish rather than part of Israel. But it didn't stop there. Not only did he lie, but he had to make sure no one else would be able to tell what was going on. So when they went into an area to fight against it, they had to kill everyone. So there were no witnesses left alive to the deception that David was portraying to Achish. How sad his plan had devastating consequences for himself 
and for others. And you think about the testimony. Remember his testimony in the cave we talked about a couple weeks ago where his men said, look at you, they brought, God's brought Saul right here. He's defenseless. You can kill him. And David said, no, I am not going to do that. I'm not going to avenge myself. I'm not going to stoop to that level and sin against God and kill the anointed one that God has put in place and God can take down, but it's not my job. And I'm sure that day in chapter 24, the, the men around him were amazed at his godly attitude, but now they're watching him say as they go and attack areas, wipe out everyone so we, no witnesses are left in order to protect the deception that we're continuing to put on. But if we end there, it's a sad story. But there is a happy ending to the story. David changed his direction. And we head to chapter 30. Many things happen in chapters 28 and 29. But in chapter 30, we see it all coming to a head. You see, David came to a point of no hope. Notice what it says in the first four verses of chapter 30. It says, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invited the, invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and his people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. David took all of his men and, and they went on a raid of another area around down there in a, in a battle. But as they came back, the Amalekites, one of their enemies, had come in and found Ziklag was not defended. So they came in and took all of their families and burned the city. And so David and his men come back and they realize what had taken place. Their city is destroyed and their families have been taken. And it says that they wept so much, they cried so hard hard that they could no longer cry. What a sad story. But fortunately, it doesn't end in verse 4. We go to verse 6, which begins horribly, but ends with hope. Verse 6 says, Now David was greatly distressed. He was depressed, discouraged, for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved every man for his sons and his daughters. They were talking, these men that, that risked their lives for him and that he led and he risked his life for them. They had served together. They had grown together. But now as they saw their families taken, they were saying, let's stone David. It's his fault. And I'm sure what must have been going through David's mind was, listen, I have led you guys with blood, sweat, and tears. I have sacrificed for you guys. And this is what you want to give me? Why are you mad at me? We should be mad at the Amalekites. But when he was down in the lowest of lows, we see the last sentence of verse 6. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. 
from chapter 27 all the way through here to chapter 30, David was focused on himself, his plans, his sorrows, his discouragement, his circumstances. But David came to the realization, I have only one hope. And he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. I'm reminded of the story of the prodigal son. Prodigal son basically wanted his dad dead because he wanted his inheritance. And so his dad said, okay, it's your choice. Gave him everything that he would inherit. And the prodigal son went away. You remember the story, he spent it foolishly. But then when he got down to the lowest of low and he was eating with the pigs, he recognized that his father was the one who could give him hope and help. And so it says he went back, he was going to say, I'm going to be a servant. But his father, with open arms, accepted him as his son. You may be here today and you may say, you know, John, I've made a mess of things, whether it's a specific incident or life in general. I've made a mess of things and there is no hope. There is hope. And that hope can come from God and God alone. And in the midst of all of the horrible things that we see David do in these chapters, we come to the word but. David looked to God. So this morning we can learn some very important lessons. First of all, seek God's wisdom, not your own, because when we trust our own wisdom, we're going to make a mess of things. Also, recognize consequences. When I make a decision, it affects me positively or negatively based on my decision, but it also affects so many people around me. And the third thing is when we have gone our own way, when we've turned our back on God, He is there waiting and we can turn back to God. We can do that when we've gone the wrong direction, just like the father of the prodigal son. By the way, a picture of God. He is waiting for us. And he will forgive and encourage us. And we can have hope in God and God alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your love. I pray that you would help us to recognize that you are God. And you are the one who is all wise. You are the one who gives all hope. And you are the one who forgives. Lord, help us to look to you. And Lord, I thank you that we can encourage ourselves in the Lord our God, just like David did. Lord, we pray that you would help us this week to make decisions that glorify you, to recognize the consequences of choices we make, and to cling to you in every situation. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.